This is Defender Radio. Defender Radio is brought to you by Gates Wildlife Control and the Association for the Protection of Fur-Bearing Animals. It's the week of May 12, 2014, and this is Michael Howie welcoming you to episode 130 of Defender Radio. The Ontario Spring Bear Hunt has begun. After a long battle, advocates have been unable to reverse the government's vote-grabbing plan to open up the hunt, which was closed more than a decade ago. The reason the hunt was ended was simple. Bear cubs were being orphaned by the hundreds. But in a desperate bid to please northern voters, Minister of Natural Resources David Orzadi ignored his own department's scientific reports and launched a pilot project of the hunt, which began on May 1st. In past episodes, we've learned why the original hunt was cancelled and what the possible repercussions could be if it was reinstated. Now, we're learning what is being done to prepare for those eventualities. We'll be hearing from Mike McIntosh of Bear With Us Sanctuary, where many bear cubs, if found in time, will go to be rehabilitated, raised, and eventually released into the wild. We'll then talk with Julie Woodyear from ZooCheck Canada, who is part of an initiative to encourage residents of northern Ontario to report orphan cubs so that they have a better chance of survival. I'd also like to take a moment to remind everyone that this time of year, bear cubs aren't the only potential orphans out there. Wildlife rehabilitators are working day and night to keep orphaned animals safe. Please get to know your local wildlife rehabilitator and find out how you can assist in their efforts. Mike McIntosh of the Bear With Us Sanctuary was one of the strongest voices during the debate leading up to the spring bear hunt. As a resident of northern Ontario and a bear rehabilitator, Mike knows what life will be like for cubs orphaned as a result of hunting in the spring. He recently joined us to discuss what he's doing to prepare for the eventual rise of orphan cubs in northern Ontario. Now that the spring bear hunt uh, has is officially on and going forward, the reality of orphan cubs is going to be coming up. Um, and that's really where you play a role, a very strong role in your uh, your work at Bear With Us. So can you tell me a bit about what it's like when you uh, when you find out a bear has been orphaned, a cub has been orphaned? What do you do? Well, first of, first of all, Mike, that uh, the hunting orphans, spring bear hunt orphans, are more often never found because of where they're located and because of people who are uh, doing the orphaning. Um, don't want, you know, they don't want the news to get out. So the only time that Bears Us has received spring hunt orphans is when somebody else has seen them. And that means when a mother bear is shot and the orphans are in an, in an area where other people are traveling or frequenting, say near a town. So that's how we've got the orphans in the past. Uh, up till this time anyway, there's never been a hunter uh, made of, make us aware of orphans. So uh, that's that's the that's the reality. Well, hopefully, this uh, program that uh, Julie and uh, you folks are all working on will uh, that we'll be hearing more about will will help with that, uh, make it easier. Well, it certainly gives the chance, you know, for the uh, ethical hunter who makes a mistake. It gives them it gives them an avenue to turn to. 
And, um, of course, they're always afraid of being made, uh, made to look the bad guys. And, uh, in the case of myself, uh, you know, if, if a hunter phoned me and said, you know, I've, I made a mistake, I shot another bear, I would much prefer to make that guy seem like a good guy. Because he's trying to make it right now. He's trying to re- rectify them, yes. Okay. So, um, so moving back, what, what happens once you uh, find out about a bear cub? Well, the, uh, the first thing is to try and catch the little cub. And uh, the trauma that's involved when the mother bear is killed can have a big effect on whether the cub will be found or not. The, um, like I've spent hours searching in the bush, sometimes even days, and uh, if the cubs are in the vicinity of their mother and basically know that she's died, they smell the scent of humans in the vicinity as well, and of course, you know, they're not dumb animals. They put two and two together. So those cubs are very hard to find because uh, they'll just remain hidden in a tree and stay very quiet. They, when they get desperate uh, and start suffering from dehydration, they'll come down and they'll start looking for water or something to drink. And uh, they're still nursing you know, 100%, but uh, when desperation sets in, they'll start eating anything. And I've even found them with uh, dirt in their stools and grass, but they can't you know, they can't live on that. It's just uh, desperation. But these little guys will come down and they'll do that. And uh, unless somebody actually sees them, um, they're, they're going to perish very quickly because uh, they're not going to make a sound. Now, in contrast, if a, if a mother bear disappears and the cubs don't seem to know what the situation is, they will tend to cry out. This is more common um, as summer progresses, like, say, June and, and later. In the month of May, the cubs aren't very agile. They're not very mobile, and uh, they're also very lightweight, uh, you know, two to three kilograms. So um, their chances in the month of May are not good. Their chances in June are better because they're more mobile. They're following their mother around. And also because they're more mobile, they're easier to find. And by the month of June... It has arrived too. The grass is green. The tree buds are ripe. The mother's been eating them. And even though the cubs are depending 100% on the mother's milk, they're still nibbling these other things. So if the mother disappears again, they'll, they'll start doing the same thing they've seen their mother do, which will help them exist a little longer. Okay. And then once you're able to get them into your care, uh, what's the process like? Well, uh, when they're very small, uh, the idea is to, uh, get uh, some nutrition back into them. It's a formula that we get out of uh, a Guelph distributor and it closely matches the mother's milk. The cubs do extremely well on it. Also because it's a formula, it doesn't seem to upset, upset their digestive system. So uh, it may start off with a bottle, depending on when the cubs arrive. They're quickly uh, graduated to a drinking out of a dish. And then um, their formula and then soft foods are introduced in June. Uh, soft fruits and raw eggs and uh, they're social little animals they need company they don't do so well if they're all by themselves so it's important that the cubs uh, are introduced to another bear because even though um, another bear may be at first scary to them because the natural fear of anything unknown includes other bears and every other thing that moves people too but uh, they'll, they'll be much less stressful, 
dealing with another bear than dealing with people. And especially when we want to return to the wild, we don't want them to get used to human activity and being around people because that's not good for the bears. I've even introduced uh, cubs from, say their cubs are born this year, in June or July, I've introduced them to other cubs that are a year older that are in captivity for another reason, maybe injuries or something, just for the social aspect, and they get along very well. Um, I've actually got a situation right now where I have uh, one cub that's uh, last year's cub. She's almost a year and a half, and the cub she's uh, in the enclosure with is one year older than her. And they'll both be released uh, midsummer. Excellent. Uh, and what are the what are the chances? I mean, that's something I think whenever uh, those of us who are not in the field of rehabilitation uh, constantly wonder is you, you get in a cub um, at any point and look to rehabilitate them. You you do this incredible work, this hard work, and bring them back. And then you go out to release them. What kind of a chance at a, a I guess you would call a normal life, do these cubs have at that point? Well, I think uh, there's been some studies done, including uh, one in Ontario not, not that long ago, around 2000, where they took uh, some cubs from Bears House, some cubs from the Aspen Valley Sanctuary, and cubs from another place up near Sudbury, and they radio collared them. Uh, this was done through the Cambrian College, and Dr. Joseph Hammer headed it up. And they let 60 bears go with radio collars, and then they had another 20 bears that were, uh, you know, that, that, that were a, a wild measure. Interesting part was that all bears behaved sort of the same, and they dispersed in all different directions. There was no pattern. Um, so their chances seem to be at least as good on long-term survival as any other wild, any other bear that's in the wild. Uh, short-term survival, they probably have a better chance at a year and a half age of release because uh, the mother bear and her cubs part company when they're about a year and a half old, and and Barathus releases the cubs at about the same age back to the wild. The big advantage of the cubs that are orphans and cared for in a rehab center is that they're body mass-wise at least twice the size because of the availability of unlimited food. So they've got much more body mass and fat on their bodies. So, you know, if, if it's a bad food year for bears in the wild, the orphan cubs will have a head start because they have bigger size, more fat, and they can get through that tough time maybe waiting for uh, you know, berries that aren't very plentiful, but waiting for the fall mast, like uh, acorns and nuts, that kind of thing. So to summarize, their chances should be just as good. But the reality is, again, uh, they have one enemy, and that's people. Very few bears make it or die of old age because they usually get shot first. So even though they say bears might live to 15 to 20 years of age, in the wild. The fact is, if nobody was to shoot them, they might live twice that long. And as an example, uh, the Department of Natural Resources in Minnesota had tracked this female bear with a radio collar for a long time. When I say a long time, she died July of 2013 of natural causes at the age of 39 and a half. That's extremely rare in the bear world because they don't, they don't ever get to do that or hardly ever. And that's almost entirely because of human interference. Absolutely. Whether it be hunting, uh, highway accidents, or people poaching them or killing them as businesses, whatever. People cause them to die. People cause them to die in almost all cases. They rarely die of a natural, for a natural reason. 
All right, and I guess the bottom line then uh, for this uh, this commentary right here is that these bear cubs have a strong chance if they are able to get into the care of Bear With Us or one of the other certified rehabilitators in Ontario. Yeah, there's, there's five licensed rehabilitators that can handle bear cubs in Ontario. So if they, if they can get to one of these five rehabilitators, you know, their chances are probably close to 100%. If, you know, if they're not dead when we get them or near dead. Um, so these five rehabilitators are, you know, there's, there's one in the northwestern part of Ontario near Nipigon, and, uh, there's uh, one in the eastern part of Ontario. The Aspen Valley Sanctuary and the Bear with Us are both located in the Prairie Sound districts. Um, but, uh, and there's one near Sudbury. So that, you know, even if another rehabilitator receives a bear cub that isn't authorized for bears, they can, de- they can take in that bear cub, stabilize it, and care for it, and then transfer it to an authorized rehabilitator after that has been done. So there's many people that can help. And it's great that the message is out. You know, the police forces, the ministry people, if, if they're interested in helping, you know, that's, that's great. All right. And people want to get more involved. We've got the uh, Ontario Spring Bear Hunt website will be linked through this podcast. Um, and I believe we've got the list of the authorized rehabilitators and everything through that, don't we? I, I Well, there is. And I had sent an email. I think you're a copy of it, Mike, of the bear rehabilitators in Ontario. Um, one more thing. You no, know, people need to do this. It's important because we have to somehow right the wrongs that we commit. And when it comes to the bear population, almost all the wrongs are caused by human activity, like you mentioned before. More information about Mike and his work can be found through the Ontario Spring Bearhunt.ca website. We'll be right back after these words from our sponsors. You're listening to Defender Radio. First, they tear a hole in your roof. Then they get in, destroying your insulation, chewing your electrical wiring. Raccoons and squirrels are eating away at your biggest investment, your home. I am Brad Gates of Gates Wildlife Control. Don't wait any longer. Call Gates Wildlife Control. We'll humanely get them out and keep them out. We will come to your house and provide you with a no-obligation free estimate. Please visit us at GatesWildlifeControl.com or call 416-750-9453. BearSmart.com is the most comprehensive resource on the web for all things bear. At BearSmart.com, we work hard to ensure people and bears safely and respectfully coexist. Join us as we give bears a voice at BearSmart.com. Have you ever heard a coyote sing? Did you know that coyotes are also called North America song dogs? They communicate through unique howls, yips, and barks. At Coyote Watch Canada, we're committed to fostering peaceful coexistence for communities and their wildlife neighbors by building compassionate wildlife communities one community at a time. Please visit us at coyotewatchcanada.com for more information and tips about this amazing keystone species. Every year, dogs, cats, endangered species, and even people are caught in cruel leg hold, conibear, and other body gripping traps across Canada. Who will speak out for these innocent victims of an outdated industry? We will. 
I'm Leslie Fox, Executive Director of the Association for the Protection of Fur-Bearing Animals. With your support, we can bring an end to the needless and painful deaths of hundreds of thousands of animals. Become a member today at FurBearerDefenders.com to find out how you can give hope for our fur-bearing friends. This is Defender Radio. A powerful advocate, Julie Woodyear of ZooCheck Canada, was on the front lines of the spring bear hunt debates. Julie, along with Animal Alliance of Canada, took part in a legal fight to prevent the hunt and has more recently helped launch a hotline for northern residents. She joined us to explain more about the history of the spring bear hunt, as well as what will come next. I guess this all really seemed to come to a head when uh, an MPP from northern Ontario, Bill Morrow, pushed forward a private member's bill to reintroduce the spring bear hunt. Um, so why don't we sort of take off from there? What what happened with that private member's bill? Well, of course, private member's bills rarely go anywhere. So that, that wasn't a significant concern to us. Um, and since the Minister Orizetti had said the previous uh, summer, in August, he said there's no way we're re- reintroducing a spring hunt, we didn't think it was going to be a serious concern. And then all of a sudden, last fall, Minister Orizetti comes out and says, uh, we're going to reintroduce a spring bear hunt. And that was quite a shock to all of us, especially given that the science of his own ministry shows that it won't reduce human-bear conflict. The process then kind of skipped ahead. Um, it, it seemed to me, uh, and as you know, I'm relatively new to some of this, but it seemed to me to get really pushed forward quickly. Um one would expect there to be a little more debate or humming and hawing over it, but they they more or less kind of jump straight into public consultation, um, which, from what I recall seeing, almost came out 50-50 for and against. Um, there was a lot of support for it, but there was still a lot of support or a lot of uh, uh, people against the spring bear hunt. And it kind of, again, just leapfrog forward. Um, and the next action that was taken was the, uh, the legal action. Uh, can you sum up a bit about what that involved and what ended up happening with it? Sure. Um, first, it's really important to note that during the legal action, we got a documentation that showed they had actually signed off on the hunt before the uh, consultation was even finished. It's also important to note that that consultation drew more people's responses than any other that um, anyone can recall in MNR's history. So it's a hot button issue for sure. Um, so we brought forward a case to the court, um, essentially saying a number of things. One, that um, allowing a spring hunt always results in orphan cubs. We know that from the ministry's own science. And so that by willfully knowing it's going to cause harm to an animal, it's contradictory to the Criminal Code of Canada. That was one argument. Another argument was that proper process had not been followed because the minister failed to take into account the research and science by his own ministry biologists. Um, And and then the the third issue was sort of a process issue. Anyway, essentially what the court came back and said was all the minister has to do is to put out a public consultation. He doesn't even have to consider the responses to the consultation. He doesn't have to consider the science. 
He doesn't have to do anything more. So essentially, as far as I can tell, he's not accountable to anyone. He's not accountable to ensure that he's followed the best science before enacting a hunt or anything else. So um, that's pretty disturbing as someone who lives in the province of Ontario. Mm, definitely. And based on the history of this government's uh, stretching back, what, three elections now, three full terms, um, it's, it's frightening. Because they uh, have been accused of billions of dollars in waste uh, through the cancellation of gas fire power plants, through the e-health scandal, uh, and even the day one tax increases uh, from, what was that, 2004, 2005, uh, when the, the original premier said, I will not raise taxes and swore an oath to it, and literally his first week in office raise taxes. Um, so it's, it, it is a little upsetting to see that and to hear that to be the truth. Um, and one of the things I think is interesting to point out is that the case was not dismissed on a lack of merit. Correct. That's a very important aspect of this. You know, the judge never said, we think he properly looked at the science and carefully considered the fact. He never said that. He just said the court has no jurisdiction to um, review a decision of a minister as long as he's put it through a consultation process, even if he hasn't reviewed the public responses to the consultation process. So essentially, he just has to post it, and that's all he has to do. Then he can do what he likes. That's, that's you know, there's some basic consideration that he has considered his statement of environmental values, but in this case, wherein the science was completely ignored, you know, <laughs> just to have say, yes, I thought about the statement of environmental values and I'm going ahead with this. That's it. Well, and I think we should very briefly touch on the uh, the scientific paper. And this is something I've read, you've read, uh, we've talked about in the past. Uh, and a lot of us have talked about, though the media has really not played on it that much, is uh, a, a policy paper that was created by the Ministry of Natural Resources top staffers that reviewed all the available science and came to the irrevocable conclusion that a spring bear hunt has absolutely no correlation to the number of uh, nuisance wildlife calls um, and that the only benefit to a spring bear hunt is economic if you allow out-of-area hunters. Right. That That is absolutely true. And, um, and moreover, if you actually do want to reduce human bear conflict, the way to do it is invest in the BearWise program and properly implement it because in the communities where it was properly implemented, they don't have any problems anymore with what they term nuisance bears. Yeah, so uh, largely this comes down to a government with a program that works if they invest in it and make sure it's working with the follow-through, which they weren't, a government that ignored the advice of its top scientists and a government that is now battling for its place again after years and years and years of what I would personally call uh, abuse of public power. Um, and it's unfortunate that this election was called two weeks later than it could have been. Uh, because if it had come a few weeks earlier, if that budget presentation had come a few weeks earlier, this could have been prevented uh, or at least put off for this season. Um, but moving forward, the spring bear hunt is now on. Uh, the work uh, uh, of yourself, of other organizations, and of uh, a great number of supporters throughout the province and, in fact, the country. Um, and 
what's happening now is that everyone is preparing for the eventuality of orphan cubs. And this is something that uh, Zuchek and Animal Alliance have issued a press release stating that there is a hotline number now available if a cub is found to be orphaned to call. Can you tell me a bit about why uh, this decision was made, why it was decided to take this approach? Well, we've been very clear from the beginning that our entire concern with spring hunting is that cubs are orphaned. And there's no way to stop that because the mothers put the cubs off in a safe place before they go out to the bait sites to get the food because they could be at risk of competing with males at the bait site and she can't eat and protect her cubs all at once. So she caches them away in a tree, she comes back, she gets killed, now what? It's not illegal to kill her if she's not accompanied by her cubs when she's shot. And to be fair, there's no way for those hunters to be able to tell if it's a lactating female or not, even at standing bait. We know that also from the research. So we had no choice. The the hunt is going ahead. The only possible way to provide as much protection for cubs as possible is to set up a hotline so people have the ability to call us and say, I've become aware that here's a dead lactating bear um, and there's, we haven't seen any cubs yet, what do we do? And so we'll take the call, it's actually a cell phone, I'll carry it with me 100% of the time and um, and I'll take those calls and the first line of defense of course will be to call the ministry because this is in fact their job. It's really within their purview, so they should be doing it. But if for some reason they're unable or unwilling for any reason to go out and rescue the cubs, we'll deploy people to do that. Well, we spoke earlier with Mike McIntosh, Barathel Sanctuary, and he was saying that he believes that some hunters will, in fact, take advantage of this opportunity because they will recognize they've made a mistake by killing a mother bear. Yeah. Um, Well, and, uh, you know, this has never been about the hunters. I want to be clear about that. This has always been about the minister making a decision that's not based on science. And the fact is, you know, it's it's not necessarily the hunter's fault, right? He inadvertently shoots. So we presume that hunters do not intentionally wish to harm the babies and that they would want to do everything possible to help those bears um, so that they weren't left to suffer in the forest. So I'm, I'm hopeful that they'll call us. I know that some folks aren't, are uneasy about calling the ministry directly because they're concerned about enforcement. Anybody who calls our line, their information will be kept confidential. We won't be turning it over. So there's no risk of enforcement on any level anyway. And uh, our whole interest is get those cubs and get them to one of the rehab centers in the province so that they can at least have a chance to be returned to the wild and, moreover, aren't left in the woods to starve to death or be predated on. And I guess this this is it really is an interesting point, um, and it's almost a philosophical point, is that while opposed to the spring bear hunt uh, on the grounds of the science, and the politics behind it, uh, this group of organizations who has stood against it is now taking a stance that we will try and handle the fallen um, in the best way possible. To me, that speaks a great deal about the intentions of the groups. Um, is that something that you hope will come across? Um, because again, this debate over the last several months 
did get very nasty and very personal in the media with a lot of individuals and a lot of larger organizations. And I yeah. won't name names, but you know exactly who I'm talking yeah, about. I sure do. <laughs> um, so do you think that this may be seen as a bit of an olive branch for the future? Well, we're definitely going to reach out to the hunting organizations um, and and ask them to please let their members know that the hotline is there. You know, from our perspective, the issue has always been the Cubs, and so we're you know we're just true to what has always been our concern. Um, you know, we had hoped that the members of the public would realize that truly was our concern. But anybody who put it at all into question, you know, we're going to put our money where our mouth is, and we're going to go out there and do our best to help Cubs. You can learn more about this initiative at OntarioSpringBearHunt.ca. That's the show for this week, folks. I'd like to thank Mike McIntosh of Bear With Us and Julie Woodyear of ZooCheck Canada for joining us, as well as all the organizations and volunteers who took part in trying to end the spring bear hunt. Until next time, this is Michael Howie reminding you to stay informed and stay strong.